Good morning. As we turn to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. And now, Israel, what does Lord your God ask of you? Only to revere him, to love and serve him with all of our heart and soul, and to obey his commands, which he has given this day for our own good. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 830. Again, the text is Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, found on 830 of the Pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do the people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you, Jen. Let you bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be concluding our series on the Beatitudes. And if you would, you can turn to the scriptures. Perhaps you're already there. If you have your uh, blue uh, pew Bible, you're welcome to follow along. It's going to be on page, uh, we're going to be actually in chapter 4 and 5 this morning. But this concluding section that Jen read for us is important because it places the Beatitudes in you will, in their missional context. It, it describes how we, when we embrace these beatitudes, that this is the, what, what the people of God look like. And I want to draw your attention this morning to something that I think is uh, very deliberate, that here in chapter 5, as, as Jen just read for us, you'll, you'll see the metaphors of light and darkness. Uh, the first thing that Jesus compares the God's people to is salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And we'll come back to that. But in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. What an incredible statement. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, for, for those of us who are, who are used to, uh, you know, our, our, in our modern world, we, we have lights on at night. We, we understand that, that wherever we go, there are lights on. But in the ancient world, of course, when the sun went down, for the most part, that was it. It was, it was dark as dark can be, except, except in, a, in, a, in, a, in a town or a city, especially a city built on a hill. So a city built on a hill was very orienting. It was something that you could see, something that would guide and direct, and you, or you could orient yourself around it, and often you would be led to it because that, that would be a place of safety, a place of refuge. So he says, you are the light of the world. And then verse 15 says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. So you have these metaphors of light in contrast to darkness. Well, if you turn the page, go back on 829, we have, we have this, 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 this section that follows Jesus' baptism and, and then his, his, uh, his testing in the wilderness. And we read in verse 12, again, this is page 829, chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. 
Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in a Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why? Verse 14. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Listen to this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So do you see that as Jesus, as Matthew presents the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he presents it through this metaphor of light and darkness. It's one of the most pervasive metaphors of the Bible. From Genesis 1 onward, we have this idea that there is darkness. And that darkness needs to be overcome by the, by the light. And of course, here it speaks of, in the, uh, uh, Matthew's quoting uh, Isaiah, and he says, the people living in darkness. Now that's, that's speaking of, listen to this, that is speaking of God's people. The time of Jesus was a time of darkness. It was a time when God's people were living themselves in darkness. I don't know how you feel the church today, especially the church in America, living in darkness. He continues here. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. Wow. Living in a land where there's just going to be no life. Everything is draining. Everything is deteriorating. Things are going downhill. Those living in a place of despair. Of loneliness. Of confusion. place of the shadow of death in that place a light he says a light has dawned what does he mean what what, what is going on what what is it about jesus that that brings about this transformation of darkness to light he goes on to describe verse 17 listen to this this is the 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 first this is the the key message that, that matthew has for us it's very simple from that time on jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that is Jesus' very simple message. Jesus is saying, with my arrival, there is a new power in the world. A new power. And that power is sent from God to bring light and life to the world. It is a selfless, self-sacrificing power. It is a power, it is an authority that the world, the likes of which the world has never seen, not only in its might, but in the way that it uses its power. And the first thing that Jesus does, you see in chapter 4, verse 18, is he calls his disciples, and it's so beautiful how he calls these ordinary, regular, working class persons. He doesn't consult kings and princes. He doesn't consult magi. He doesn't consult the wise men. No, he simply goes to those who are, who are along the sea, doing their thing, doing their vocation, and he calls them. And importantly, this, this gives you a sense of the, of the power, of the authority that Jesus possesses, that he simply walks up to them, and he says what? Come, follow me. And that's so important, because they're, they're in the midst. Listen, listen, guys. Listen to everyone who works. Listen to me. They are in the midst of their vocation. They're in the midst of their role of life. And he says, Come. 
my, my, your discipleship, your following me is more important than your work. In fact, he doesn't just say, look, you just work and there's following. No, he actually says, no, what I'm going to do from now, what you're going to do from now on supersedes that. It's bigger than that. It envelops your work. For, for these particular men, it meant actually leaving their vocation. But for many of us, for most of us, it means taking our vocation and placing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want that for all of you. Those of you who work in the workplace, or those of you who are in your various roles of, 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 of a parent, of spouse, of sibling, I want to walk with you. Your leadership wants to walk with you and say, what does it look like to bring my particular vocation under the lordship of Jesus Christ? But it's not only, listen to this, his lordship, his authority, his power extends not only to a vocation, it extends to family. Look in verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately, listen to this, immediately they left the boat with the next, the next few words, and their father, and followed him. See, the allegiance to Jesus isn't even, is an allegiance greater than to your master, to your supervisor, your employer, and it's an allegiance even greater to your family. And that's so, that's so important, especially here in St. Louis. Many, many people living in St. Louis, they've grown up here, multiple generations and multiple family members. And that's beautiful. There's something really beautiful, something I envy about that. You get together at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and you have all your family there together. But Jesus comes first. He's Lord over those relationships. And when we have to choose between family and following Jesus, it's the latter every single time. This is the nature, this is the magnitude of the power that is coming into this world, that Jesus can make those kinds of demands on our life. So those are the demands that he makes, but if we go on here, what you see next is the actual nature of Jesus' power. Look in verse 23, this new power that's come into the world. When Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the, the, the good news of this new power coming into the world, and you ready for this? healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all, all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. He healed them. This is the power that has come into the world. A power that reverses the curse, that is greater than any disease, greater than any illness, greater than any sickness. Jesus heals them. Verse 25, and we, we get a sense of the flavor, the ethnicity, the, the backgrounds, the kinds of persons who were following him. Large crowds from Galilee. Understand, Galilee would have been like not to be pejorative, it would have been something like many, Saint Louis, like many people of St. Louis see Jefferson County. Oh, yeah, the backwoods, right? It's country. Those are, those are you know, rednecks. That would have been Galilee. Large crowds from Galilee, from the Decapolis. The Decapolis was, was overwhelmingly Gentile. They were the outsiders. They were the, 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 the unclean, Right? 
They're from the wrong political party. They're from just, there's bad news. The problem people. The unclean. They were from Galilee. They were from the Decapolis. They were from Jerusalem. They were from the center. They were from the, 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 the heritage, the, the theological and historical, cultural center of God's people. And then it generalized Judea and the region across the Jordan. They, all of them, followed him. So you have Jesus coming into the world as the one who is the light, coming into the world of darkness, a place of despair, a place of isolation, a place of loneliness, a place of disease, and announcing that with his arrival, a new power is present. And because of that, now I see the connection here, because of that new power, there comes a new perspective. And that is exactly what we've been walking through these last weeks as we've been walked through the, as we walked through the, each of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a new perspective on life that comes from embracing that new power. When you realize that one has come into the world, that he has overcome disease and death and the evil one, and when he has overcome the sin within our lives, we begin to see the world in a very different way. So to give just a few examples by way of review. When we see that there is a new power in the world in Jesus, we begin to think about being weak, being at the end of our rope, being at the end of ourselves differently. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are on low battery. Why is that? Why is it actually a good thing? Why is it a beautiful thing? Why is it actually a, a, a something to not be concerned about when we are at the end of our road? Well, because when, when we're at the end of ourselves, when we have no more power, no more strength, that's when we discover his strength and his power. See, when there's a new power that has come to the world, it's only when we are out of, when we, when we are out of strength, when we, we are out of, out of power, if you will, that we begin to ask ourselves, where, where can I go? Where can I turn? Who is in control? I'm not in control. Who really is? And it's Jesus who stands saying, look, I am going to have the final word. I am going to have the final say. I am the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we realize, I can actually rest in that. We can continue, blessed are those who mourn. I don't know about you, but who likes to be sad? Who likes to come face to face with how broken the world really is? Who likes to come face to face with how much loss there is? Especially in the last year and a half. Don't you just want to escape? Don't you want to just leave? Don't you want to just go do whatever it takes to dull the pain? Jesus says, no. Because here's the thing, when you look at how broken it is, when you look face, face to face, let's say the Wigmans are this week, when you look face to face with death, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only then you realize that he is with you. That that shepherd, that resurrected one who towers over death, who has removed the sting of death, is there present with the staff, and he's with you. And you can say what? Because he is with me, I will not fear. 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Did you see, it's only, it's only when he actually goes through the valley of the shadow of death that he can know the comfort, the peace of God's presence, of God's power. And so it's only in our weakness as we are poor in spirit, it's only in our mourning and our grieving that we experience this new power. Let me just go back here quickly to chapter 4. Look, look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, 24. It says, News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Now let me ask, who is it that experiences the, this, this new power? It's not the healthy. It's not those for whom life is just kind of going fine. Those who encounter the power of Jesus are those who suffer with various diseases, severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. It is those whose lives have gone catastrophically wrong who discover the nature of this new power. And that's why these, for every single one of these beatitudes, it is so countercultural, so counterintuitive. For example, look at verse 9 of chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now think about that. It's only when there is conflict in your home, conflict at work, conflict in, in your family, whatever it may be, it's only in the midst of conflict that you actually can come to see peace. You can come to see how the gospel is the only solution that brings about reconciliation. I mean, our culture is so polarized. It is so divided. Family members won't speak to each other because of po political matters, ideological issues. It's amazing how divided we are. And only the gospel is only the gospel that can bring that kind of peace. It's never ceased to amaze me how Sarah and I can be arguing. And it's through that argument, as both of us come to humble ourselves, and the yelling stops, our voices grow calm, we begin to confess, begin to listen, really listen, instead of just defending, instead of simply accusing, we begin to listen, and we confess, and we forgive. And we realize it's in that moment of forgiveness that there's intimacy and beauty and the power of Jesus has shown up. And it's through that conflict that we've, we've discovered the power of God. Does that make sense? So Jesus speaks of blessing on these various persons that the world would think, oh, this is, this is a disaster. Who wants to be on low battery? Who wants to be grieving? Who, or verse, verse 5, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the nobodies. Blessed are those who are inconsequential. Blessed are those who, who simply don't know how to be a big deal, who can't make a big splash. Blessed are the nobodies, those who serve quietly, those who serve humbly and simply. Because underlying that is the very simple idea that those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, this new power has come. This new power has come to serve, to give its life, to lose everything, to be that nobody, to be the reject, 
to be the one who is alienated, to be the scapegoat, and through that, bring forgiveness and mercy to the world. So again, understand, a new power brings about a new perspective. And this is what we're leading up to in these verses, in verse 13 through 16. That new perspective, when embraced, creates a new people. Got that? A new power that creates a new perspective, that creates a new people, a people who are different from the world. This very simple metaphor of salt, it, has, it can have various illusions and scholars go back and forth, but salt is simply, by the nature of salt, it is different from everything around it. So you put salt in food because salt is different. You put salt in, say, meat to, to preserve it because it's different from the meat. And Jesus is saying, you are to be a people who are different. You are to be a people who stand out. And if you don't stand out, if you're not different from other people, what, what use are you? Listen to what he says. He's very strong words. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus says when you have recognized that there's a new power in the world, when you've recognized that there's a new perspective, a new way of seeing weakness, a new way of seeing grief, a new way of seeing conflict, when you recognize a new perspective because of this new power, you're going to live differently in ways that are just strange. They're different from the rest of the world. I want to ask you, are you have you truly listened to this? Have you truly bowed your knee in every area of life to this new power, to this new authority. Because if you haven't, if you're just simply a Christian in name only, if the words of Isaiah as quoted by Jesus are true of us, and he says these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If it's true, we're no different than the rest of the world. We have lost our saltiness, and we're not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. As I mentioned in the beginning of the service this morning, the Church of Jesus Christ is not a self-licking ice cream cone. Listen, each and every one of you you have gifts that God has given you. You have a story that God has given you. You have perspective that God has given you. He's given you some resources. And he's calling you to lay all of those, all of those down at his feet and to be, to be the salt of the earth. He continues in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He calls us to be distinct, to be this light in a, in a world of darkness, to be a place that people can orient themselves around. Not only individually, but as a body of Christ, as the family of God. Brothers and sisters, are we doing that here at Good Shepherd? Is there a unity? Is there a focus? Is there a mission? Are you initiating? Are you, asking, are you yourself saying, what, what am I doing? How am I part of this church? What gifts do I want to, what, what burdens do I have? I'm so concerned for X, Y, or Z. I'm so concerned for these persons over here. And you come and you say, look, what, what can we do about this? I don't know. And we begin to pray about it. 
We begin to talk about it. We listen. We explore. We research. And we begin to serve. Because listen to this. It's so beautiful. We, you and I, as simple, as ordinary as we are, we are called to be light. A light in a world of darkness. I don't know about you. It's so hard to defy the darkness. Even the last 24, 40 hours, I've been so discouraged. Man, I just get so discouraged. And the darkness just seems like it's going to win. Right? You look within, you see all your own struggles, your own fears, your own desires that get the best of you, your own passions. You look around you and you think of the world, and you just see, you read the news, or you just... Yeah, I'm just so discouraged. And it's only as we fix our eyes on the one who is this new power, who is who towers over death, who towers over disease, who towers over our disobedience, who towers over the, 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 the demonic realm, and know that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do, we do indeed long to defy the darkness, the darkness that is in us and around us. And we pray as a church that you, that we would throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and we would run, we would run with perseverance the race that you have marked out for us. Father, would you enable us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who is from you, that anointed one, the one who is the King of kings, the one who is our only hope, the one who is the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Oh, Father, I pray that as a church that we would arise, that we would arise and put our armor on, that we would hear the call of Christ, our captain, for now the weak can say that they indeed are strong. Now those who are are walking in a, a, a valley of darkness can fear no evil because you, you, Jesus, our good shepherd, are with us. Father, enable us to do that together. Enable us to walk in your, in your light, in the beauty of your, your, your kindness, your mercy, in this new power in which we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters.